Welcome to the People of Pathology podcast. I'm Dennis Strank. There are many interesting things happening in and around the field of pathology. And on this podcast, I speak with the people who are doing those things. My guest today is one of those people, Dr. Nat Pernick. Dr. Pernick is a pathologist and the founder of pathologyoutlines.com. This site is a free online pathology textbook and also includes job postings and advertisements for conferences. Today on the show, we'll talk to Dr. Pernick about his background and how he came up with the idea for Pathology Outlines. We'll talk about the evolution of the site and about the changes he's seen in pathology over the years. I found this conversation very interesting from a historical perspective. Now, here's Dr. Pernick. Okay, uh, Dr. Pernick, thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. Hi, thanks, Dennis, for having me. I'd like to spend most of the conversation talking about your website, pathologyoutlines.com. But first, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about your background. Um, I found your background interesting because it's the exact set of skills that you would later need to start the website. So you, you studied mathematics and uh, computer programming and then went on to medical school after that. Uh, what, uh, what did you intend to do with uh, computer programming? Well, I wasn't really sure. I started programming perhaps in middle school, certainly at the beginning of high school. I just liked it. Um, okay. And uh, when I was, I think, a junior or a senior, I actually started working as a programmer. Before that, I think I worked scooping ice cream and I mowed lawns, and uh, this was a lot more interesting and paid a lot. So I didn't actually have a grand plan uh, with the programming. Okay. And so this was uh, in the 80s when computers were really starting to, at least home computers were really starting to take off. Um, So I imagine uh, there was... Actually in the 70s when I started. I graduated high school. 75, and I was starting probably in the early 70s. Uh, I, I remember we had a programmable calculator. It was called an Olivetti programmable calculator. And I don't remember what I wrote, except uh, one of the programs uh, calculated how to score bowling, you know, how to, how to keep track. So that I remember, um, probably other stuff too. But uh, Okay. And then s- some of the program you did was uh, actually related to the medical field. I know you did some work with... Um, uh, blood glucose monitor, monitoring, and uh, you worked on some uh, laboratory information systems as well. Is that right? Right. When I was an undergrad, um, I actually uh, I had a girlfriend, and she, now that I think about it, she was, I mean, I liked her, but she was also good for two things. First, she convinced me to go to medical school. I was pre-med because I liked math and science, but I really hadn't thought about medicine. And she also had a cousin he had a clinical lab, um, and I had no idea what pathologists do. I knew what labs did, and I started working as a programmer there, basically doing the same kind of lab information systems that exist today, obviously a much earlier version of it. Right. I, the, the information systems were pretty rudimentary at the time, I imagine. Um, did you have any idea that they would become what, what they are now? Well... You know, I thought about uh, about this a little bit. They basically did the same things that we do today. What, so what do we do? We do order entry. We do result reporting. Um, we have some kind of storage mechanism. We stored them back on microfiche. And um, 
that was a big thing. We to, to put it in a format that could be read by the microfiche. And I remember what was interesting was I said, well, why is it so important to save the results? You've got the paper copies. The real purpose of the storage was for the Blue Cross audits, because if they did an audit and you couldn't prove you did the test, then they docked you the money. But um, And then we had quality assurance programs, quality control. So I think, although we used a mini computer, it was certainly not as sophisticated as the computers today. I kind of think it's pretty similar. I mean, we didn't have automated testing. You know, people right. were doing the tests one at a time. But, but basically, it seemed the same, at least to me, as what's going on today in general terms. Sure. Okay. Just probably a, a lot s slower pace than, than what we have now. Right. Well, you know, it was a different world. I mean, we thought um, it seemed pretty fast back then because you, know, you could print out all these results right away and uh, you can look them up right away. Remember the system before that was you had to plow through papers and they weren't organized in alphabetical order. Uh, you couldn't find them. Kind of like looking for glass slides uh, in the slide room, right? You know, if it's right. not filed 100% correctly, it's going to be very frustrating to try to try to find it. Right, right. Okay. And then, uh, so like you said, you went on to medical school. Uh, did you always intend to go into pathology? No, I never intended to go into pathology, um, I, which is, I think, kind of characteristic for pathologists. Um, I yeah. wanted to go into, well, first I wanted to go into family practice because it seemed to me from a societal point of view, that's what was needed. And I was all gung-ho on doing that till I actually did a rotation in family practice. And um, I decided I can't do this. <laughs> it's just not for me. So um, I spent three months at the NIH. They actually had a clerkship on computers and medicine. And I thought that was great. This was supposed to be, so this was now maybe 1982. This was supposed, or 81. This is supposed okay. to be the next big thing. And um, so that's what I wanted to do. I was just going to wait a couple years, is what everyone said, for this to be, I guess, a new residency in computer medicine. And um, so we, now, now there they had actually hospital information systems those were pretty crude. I mean, if you wanted to type an order for a drug, you had an alphabetical list and you had to go through it. It was very slow. It was really monotonous. And uh, it would I could see how it would drive people crazy. But, uh, but that's where I actually did the, I did some work on using um, computer programs to assist in adjusting insulin dosage. We, uh -huh. we did it on mini computers and we published some papers on it. Uh -huh. Right. Okay. So how did you become interested in, in pathology? Well, so um, I, I was a third year. I was a fourth year. There were no programs in computers and medicine. And I was thinking, well, what am I going to do? And um, I talked to a lot of people. I, I really, there was nothing in medicine at the time that I was interested in. But my family, uh, my father was in politics. He was an elected official for the county. And I thought, well, I can go to law school until these programs are established. I didn't want to be a lawyer, but I thought politics is interesting. The law was interesting. So maybe I was the only person to go to law school just as an aside, but that's why I did that. Um, okay. So I went to law school. Um, I liked law school, but I didn't want to practice law. But when I was done, 
I, there were no programs in computers in medicine other than maybe some master's programs, which, but no, no training programs, nothing that would give me a career. So I was kind of burned out. I practiced law for a bit. And then at some point, I thought, I don't want to do this the rest of my life. And I started rethinking. And I talked to different people. And somehow, and I, I don't quite know how, the idea of pathology clicked. And I must have met somebody. I don't really remember who, but um, and then it started to make sense. And then I applied. So I, I had applied. I applied for a residency and got in, and that's sort of started the next phase of my life. But okay. um, it was a long. It was a long gap, actually. Um, I um, kind of a funny story. Maybe I shouldn't tell it. But maybe I'll get myself into trouble. But I, so I was taking <laughs> part three of the boards. I took part one and two as a medical student. But this was, I, part two, I think, was uh, like eight, 1982. So by the time I took part three, it was 1996 or 97. It was a long time. And I was thinking, I wonder if there's a period of time that you have to take all three parts. Who should I ask? Then I thought, well, you know what? Probably not to ask, better not to ask anybody. If there's a problem, let them tell me. So <laughs> I took it. Fortunately, I passed and uh, nobody's come back try to revoke my license. I guess I'm okay. But it was, okay. it was a long time between uh, part two and part three. Sure, sure. Okay. So you went to medical school, then you went to law school, and right. practiced law, and then, you, and then you did your residency. Right. And I was still, I still kept my law practice. Now it's, um, this might not have been the oh. smartest thing to do, but um, I had a young family. I mean, I made you know, you make what you make as a resident, forty, fifty thousand. But um I had I think three kids by the time I finished my residency. And um and, and uh, so I still worked I, I worked during the day in my residency and at night I worked um uh on my computer for as a lawyer, I did um mostly collections, commercial litigation. So it was all paperwork. I didn't I couldn't obviously go to court because I was a resident. So right. uh, if I needed to, I got somebody to cover for me, and I would just—I did a lot of forms um, and and emails and stuff like that. So, okay. And now I read in your bio that you came up with the idea for pathology outlines while you were in residency. How did you come up with the idea? What was what was initially what was the purpose for the site? Well, when I, I so I was a resident at Wayne State under. Um, John Christman, and who was the chairman when I started, and then later uh, David Grinion, who unfortunately just passed away, uh, and then mm -hmm. uh, Wild Sacker. And so I was there five years, and we had an unknown conference, like biology programs. And um, um, we used to study for this conference a book by John Sennard called Outlines in Pathology. Maybe, uh, maybe you remember that book. It was, so this was in the late 1990s. And he basically had bullet points of most of the major entities. There were no pictures. There were no references. Um, but it, it, was, it was very useful to us. And um, the problem was it was static. Um, the, I actually called him at some point. He, he, was, he had no interest in updating it, or the publisher had no interest. So we would, type, we, we would make our own additions to it. We'd paste little paper supplements to it so that when we had our unknown conference and we were being asked all these questions about different entities, we could have the answers in front of us. And I thought 
So I've been working in computers since I was an undergrad as a programmer. Uh, I paid my way through undergrad. I paid my way through medical school, paid my way through law school. I, you know, was, I worked a lot. Um, and I thought, well, why not just put this on the webs? Well, I didn't know how to do that as a resident, but we had, I just wrote it in Word documents. And, uh, and after over five years, it was kind of extensive because you tend to have the same unknowns that come up. There's not that many entities. We, uh, Dr. Grinion was a great GU pathologist. We had every kidney tumor, right? And they, we had them over mm. and over again. So, so when I was done, I thought, well, this should all be on the web. Um, I had a friend who developed websites and he helped me. And basically that's how I got started. Uh, my thinking was information should be free. Um, it should be fast. I want to make it at least something that I can use. I don't know if anybody else would use it, um, but I want to make something that I could use. I was in Detroit. I'm still in Detroit. And there weren't a lot of jobs in Detroit, so I did locums work. And as a new pathologist, that meant you had to take your books, Rosai, Sternberg, around with you. And, you know, these are yeah. big, heavy books. Um, right. And, uh, and I thought, and, you know, I'm a type A, like many pathologists. I thought, well, we really need the information in all these books, all the fascicles, you know, the journal articles. I'd like to organize it in some way and, um, you know, theoretically make it available for other people, but at least make it useful for me so I don't have to carry my books with me. And even if, you know, even if you have your books, uh, as a pathologist, you know, during one part of the day, you're in your office, then you're in the frozen section room. At some of the hospitals, it's way at the other end, right? If you have, mm -hmm. they all have computers, but you can't really be taking your books with you wherever you go. Um, I was on call. I'd get calls uh, at night. Obviously, I don't have my books with me, depending on where I was. So there was, I right. thought, you know, I should just put this all together. and. Um, it's kind of an, what I called an almost impossible task. The, the amount of knowledge is just overwhelming. But I thought, well, I'd been a programmer and I'd had big tasks before. You start small, you start, and then you just keep going. And um, that's kind of my philosophy. And so I started with the thyroid chapter. I was at a mm -hmm. family camp by kids. And uh, I said, well, I'm going to start writing. And I, I brought all my stuff together and I... Uh, you know, looked a little here and looked a little there, and I had my notes, and I had uh, notes from the USCAP conferences we would go to, and just kind of put it all together, and uh, that's how we started. This is back in August two thousand one. Okay, that was the first version of the of the website, correct? Right. I mean, it, and it's really a continuous uh, effort. We never, uh -huh. it's never, it's never done. I started with one chapter and then we go to the next chapter. And um, the other, so bench at one point we had some 80, some maybe 80 chapters. And now we've cut back, we've combined some. We had a lot of redundant material. Now I think we're at 67 chapters. But the other thing that changed was our standards changed. So initially it was just text. And then mm -hmm. I thought, well, we should add references and then we should add images and then we should link, you know, cross link other places. So our, our standards keep changing, keep improving. And um, so this is, a, this is an issue that's kind of a management issue. So what do you do when you change your standards? Well, we decided 
will make the change going forward. Some people say, well, you know, you, you should change everything at once. But of course, then you never be done. You, you never get right. anything done. because it's, And even in early on, it was an overwhelming kind of thing. So if you have a thousand topics and you say, okay, we've got to upgrade a thousand topics to the new standard. Well, that could take six months or a year. So we just, we'd apply the new standards going forward. And that's why even today, the website's a little uneven. We're trying to fix that. But the new stuff, I think, is great. And it's very comprehensive. But there's some stuff that's older and that, that we still have to bring up to the new standard. Sure. Sure. That makes sense. Um, I know that the initially all of the chapters were, were written by you um, right. up to, I think, 2005. About how much time would it take to write a chapter? Well, we, I mean, I'm sure, I, I didn't keep track. I just keep uh-huh. writing until I thought I had it done. Um, okay. You know, it could probably take 10, 20 hours. Now, what, what we did was a chapter was one word file. And um, we listed every, so I call it every diagnostic entity, we call it a topic. So, you know, squamous cell carcinoma is a topic. Uh, endocarcinoma is a different topic. You know, dysplasia is a topic. They were all in the same document, and we just had uh, links to them, internal links. Um, so, and there wasn't that much content on each of them. I mean, some of them might only have a couple sentences. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the more important ones had more. But um, and since it was all one document, kind of limited how much I wanted to write because. You, know, you can't have a Word document more than a megabyte or so. It's just too slow to load, and then it's um, not practical. Now, at some point, we decided, no, we're going to split up. Every topic's going to be its own document, and then we can be more comprehensive. But at the beginning, we didn't do that. So it was all together. Um, so Okay. Eventually, you brought on outside reviewers. Um, how did that happen? Well, I, th- I think what first happened is I just, uh, I'm not quite sure. I think other people asked if they could write too. And um, so I said yes, because I it, I realized it was overwhelming. Right. So that's one problem. And then the second problem is, you know, they're smarter than me. So I want people smarter <laughs> than me writing. Um, and um, But one of the problems was I didn't really have a good system. So if they asked, I said yes. Um, okay. And that's fine, but so now we now we have a system. So first we have qualifications for authors. If they don't meet it, we say you know you can't write unless you're with you team up with somebody who does write. So that's one big difference. But we didn't have that then. Second, we have now a template which says okay, this is these are the these are the headings that we expect you to cover. You know, we want you to have something about gross description and gross images and micro description and micro images and positive uh, immunohistochemical stains and negative and molecular and so on. Back then, we didn't have that. Um, and, we right. also, so, um, and we also pretty much accepted anything that somebody gave to us. We never sent it back. So, um, I mean, that's how I did it. I'm not saying that really not a great way to do it, but that's how I did it. Now we have Really, the same kind of standards I think that most publishers have. There's a lot of, you know, people people have to do it the right way, otherwise we don't publish it. So, what I tell people about the standards is that um, be an author, 
I no longer qualify to be an author on my own website. So um, I don't know what that means. But um, but fortunately, like I said, we have people who really have profound expertise, and I think that's really what's made the website so much better. We also have peer review. We have um, we have an editor in chief and and two deputy editors. They review everything, and then we have an editorial board who are experts in subspecialty, and they review it. Um, my staff reviews basically for formatting and grammar and things like that. Um, so, right. so every topic really is is pretty good, and there's not. It's theoretically possible, but it used to be that people would would find errors in the older stuff. It doesn't really happen now. Sometimes people will quibble over, you know, a stain that we say positive, and they say, "Well, there's this report here that it's negative a third of the time." You know, I don't know if that's a a flaw. I mean, you know, we will address it, but um, but but really, it's, right. the quality is, is so much better than it used to. Be. I was writing it by myself. Okay. Back in the early days, how did you how did you spread the word about the website? I mean, this was before social media and, and things like that. How did you how did you let people know it was there? Well, I think I wrote people, and I think um, I think I took some direct. I, I wouldn't do this today because today I think we'd be calling it uh, spamming people. But I took directories of pathologists <laughs> that I had, and I just wrote them about it. And if they said, and every couple months I tell them this is what we've changed. And if they said, take me off the list, I would. Most people were happy. Some people got, some pathologists got very upset that they were being spammed. And at some point, we just oh. we stopped doing that. And we, you know, we, we still had, uh, we, we have some blasts, but people have to subscribe to it. And um, so, okay. And, and right now, so we go to conferences, we ask people if they want to sign up for it. And some of these lists, our biggest list is a, is a newsletter that our editorial board puts out three to four times a year. What's new in pathology? And, and it covers different subspecialties. And I think we've got over 10,000 people on there. And um, okay. people can sign up at conferences. And sometimes they, they can sign up on our website. Sometimes they sign up by hearing from their friends. So we get every week maybe 20 people sign up and maybe a couple people unsubscribe. So that's, that's how people know about it. And then we tell people, now I think everybody knows about the website, but at, at the beginning, I think a lot of it was just uh, word of mouth. We write to the chairman of the pathology programs to let them know. Um, we kind of do whatever we thought we could do that defend anybody. Right. Okay. And nowadays, you've got something like 3 million or close to 3 million page views a year. Is that, I think that's the number I it's saw. 30, Is that correct? 30 million. Yeah, it's 30 million. Okay. Yeah, we have um, 40,000 visits a day, the number. Um, okay. But this is just, we just track it with Google Analytics. Now, one of the reasons I think it's so high is um, when I started this, I, I thought I want to follow what I call the golden rule. You know, do, if I don't like it, I'm not going to subject other people to it. Seems pretty obvious, but um, so we're not going to require registration because I hate it myself. We're not going to do pop-up ads because I just, you know, I don't like them. You know, all the obnoxious things that people do on other websites, we're going to try not to do. So sure. people come to the site because it's free. Now, our advertisers do not like that. They want registration. They want to know who people are. They oh, just, okay. We, we say, sorry, we're not, we're, we're not doing that. <laughs> you know, 
this is this is how we get our traffic. Uh, so they're just they they just love these numbers, um, and uh, we do the best we can. But we we're never going to require registration. Some people want to buy our email list. Um, we've had people push really really hard, and I say no. Um, I'm not you know I'm not going to give the list to my mother. You know we tell people I tell people face to face. At conferences, they say, what will you do with this list? I say, I promise you, I will not give this list to anyone. And uh, so we're not. Um, so that's, I think, another reason is that we try to be, uh, you know, we, we try to do things the right way. Um, and right. everyone likes to make money. But I, I also think it's important to run your business a proper way. And if you don't make as much money as otherwise, so be it. But you really don't want to be doing bad things. You don't want to be obnoxious to people. Um, you can help it. So you, I, we, we try to have high standards of how to operate and set an example for other businesses, which I think probably some of them need a good example. Sure. So your site is entirely free. It right. doesn't require registration to use it. And it's entirely supported by advertising. Is, is right. that right? Right. When did you start accepting advertisers on the site? Well, I think it was actually pretty early on so we had the site, and um, in the first month, I think we we averaged two visits a day. It was probably like me and my mother. And, uh, and <laughs> after okay. like three or four months, you know, it started popping up. At some point, it, it hit two hundred a day. I thought, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. Um, like I said, now we're at forty thousand. That that would have been unbelievable. But at some point, somebody called me up and said, "I'd like to advertise a job on your website." And my first thought mm. was to say, "Oh, we don't do that." But fortunately, I didn't say that. I said, uh, sure, um, let me think about, let me uh, get back to you on that. Because we had no ads and I had no idea what to do. So I went right. over with anybody I knew and we, you know, we came up with a, a jobs page and then how much are we going to charge? I had no idea. But so we came up with something and, uh, and that's how we started. Did any of your uh, law training help in, in that area? Well, I think it helps for um, one of the issues is copyright protection. You know, we we have to be very careful. Right. I mean, we use other sources, we cite them, and we have to use them in a way that's not violating their copyright. So, I think that's important. Another is just for business. So, I was a lawyer. I did collections. You know, people you have to. We had a lot of people who who were billing, and um, you could say, "Oh no, prepayment only." And then you don't have collection problems, but then people won't, a lot of people can't do that. So I was an expert in collection. So we have had very few bad debts, so, which I think is helpful because you know, we have, we have, we're running the business on this, um, you know, on these, on these advertisements. So I think it's helped that we have a good strategy on how to, how to collect money, how to make sure that we don't have problems. Because uh, one of the things I've learned in business is a lot of people, don't pay their bills. I mean, a lot of major institutions um, don't pay their bills. I mean, they're just messed up administratively. I don't think it's intentional. And um, so you have to have a process of how to deal with it. So even today, I spend a fair amount of time on talking to CEOs of other companies and saying, okay, you know, what can we do to get you to pay the bill? You know, it's a it's a multi million dollar company, and it was like a seven hundred dollar bill. It's kind of crazy, but um, but you know, our business has it has to work. Um, right. Otherwise, you know, I can't 
meet the payroll. I mean, uh, the money has to come from somewhere. So, so I think it does help. But you, you know, you if you're running a business, you got to know how to run a business. And um, right, you know, there's a lot of pathologists who are brilliant, but they don't know anything about business. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of people who run restaurants. They're brilliant chefs. We've got some in the Detroit area. They don't know anything about business. You know, they they make really stupid business decisions. They they can. They can operate the restaurant, but they just. But when it comes to money, they're they're reckless, whatever. So, so having a law background and uh, be, being in the business of law, I think, really was helpful. It is helpful. Sure. So the site's been around now. So this is 2020. Been around 19 years almost. What were some of the biggest changes you've seen in pathology during that time? Well, I think. You know, in a way, um, I remember Dr. Grinion used to say to us that pathology really is about diagnosing based on morphology. And uh, back when we, when I was a resident and fellow, people wanted to use all the uh, IHC or, or the test to make a diagnosis. And he'd say, no, 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 that's wrong. And uh, today, people kind of want to use molecular to do the same thing, right? Um, and right. Now, we do have a lot... Of, so one of the changes, though, is we do have a lot of diagnoses, uh, particularly some of the CNS tumors, where it's the diagnosis is based on molecular testing. I don't know if that's going to continue, but that's what it is right now. So that's that's a big change. You have to do molecular testing for some of the diagnoses. You have to do it for a lot of um, heme path just for a diagnosis. You have to do it for a lot of tumors because the oncologists want to know if they can give a, a particular drug, and um, so you have to do the companion diagnostic testing. So that's that's a big change. Is that this testing is it's, it's not just ancillary; it's, it really is required. Um, one of the right. things I think that we have not seen, and then I think it's interesting because people were so sure was that we were going to be replaced by computers. Right? Um, this was all <laughs> yes. work. slides would be digitized, and uh, a computer would be giving the diagnosis. Now, I never thought that that was actually going to happen. Maybe it will happen, but uh, because um, it didn't doesn't really work for even for cytopathology for Pap smears, which is pretty easy, um, a pretty easy problem to solve. And if you can't do it with certainty for a Pap smear, how are you going to do it for anything else? Um, so, th so that's you know that's kind of one problem. The other problem is that oncologists don't want to depend on a black box. They don't want a diagnosis that just came out of the computer. They want a human, maybe the computer could be a tool and it could suggest diagnosis or it could find areas of concern. You know, if you're looking for a lymph in a lymph node, sure, it's helpful to have a computer spot out areas of, you know, a couple funny looking cells that maybe you would have missed. But I think they want to know that a human being has actually looked at it and is signing the report. So um, I know I've had, um, I've had computerized tests on me based on laboratory data that are just wrong. Um, the computer said, I'd, uh, for example, it said I was having myocardial infarction, which is kind of a big deal. And it was wrong. Yeah. Um, and I've still got it. And I show it to people, uh, to my friends who have, show it to my friends who do uh, uh, internal medicine just to see if they would pick up. Because the computer was absolutely sure. It didn't say consistent with it. It, it called it, you know. And, uh, you know, they rushed wow. into the hospital and they were ready to, they were just uh, itching to do that cardiac cath. And I said, um, well, how about if you um, wait for the troponin test? 
you know, can you can you wait to get the result? Because I'm pretty sure I'm not having a heart attack. Other, you know, I have no symptoms and I have no risk factors other than being an older man. And they waited for the test and uh, it was negative, fortunately. And the whole room emptied out. Um, but so I think if you can't even do it with certainty for an EKG, then how are you going to do it for tissue, which, you know, is pretty complicated. So, so I think right. those are like the, the big the changes that we've seen and the changes that we've not seen in, in pathology in the past 20 years. Okay. That actually leads me into my next question. I wanted to ask you about what, what you think about digital and computational pathology, because that seems like the, you know, computers, the computer medicine that you've been looking for, right. you know, since you were an undergrad, are you interested in that? And what do you, what do you think of that? Well, I think um, when I look back on pathology outlines, I think, well, this, I basically created my own career. Right. So this was using in the practice of pathology, um, it's not super sophisticated. We don't do anything, you know, super slick. I was a programmer. I wrote payroll systems and lab management systems, and and some of that was kind of clever. And this is not really. There's nothing super clever. Maybe I we have an IT consultant that, that designs the website, so some of the stuff they do is clever. But the stuff that I do is not particularly clever. But we 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 just come up with a product that works. Um, my view on digital is it's a tool and it's a useful tool. So I think now if pathologists are at home because they don't, I don't know if some of them are signing out cases at home, I, you know, then it would be useful. Um, mm -hmm. I'm sure almost every case, maybe not all of them, but most of them you could sign out at home, but it's a tool. It really doesn't replace our brains. And that's kind of how I look at it. Um, like I said, there are, you, when you go to the, uh, trade shows, to the conferences, there are people who talk about, you know, data mining from the images and we're going to, you know, we can get all this information about predicting what a tumor is going to do by looking at the image. I mean, maybe, maybe there's some truth to that. I remember I talked to one guy who was from um, his country's uh, intelligence services and he was trying to use, they would analyze satellite data to look for, yes, military installations or things of military value, and they wanted to use that same strategy to look at the uh, digitized tumors to see if they could find things, I guess, that would be part of the tumor's arsenal, so to speak. Um, okay. And I don't know what happened to that. But um, my area, I think, is just to continue to, to do what we're doing, but to do a better job. Uh, we've got 6,500, 7,000 topics. You know, they were all written one at a time. There wasn't a great unifying system of, of how to do it and how to organize it. So theoretically looking back, if I knew what I was that this was going to happen, I you know, I would have done a little more strategy and planning at the beginning. But now we have all of this stuff and now we're trying to create a strategy. We, we we've created strategies, we've created databases, and now we've got to go back, put everything into that format. So that's that's a lot of work for us. So the, so I find that actually interesting. You know, we're we're meeting with pathologists, figuring out what do they want, what's missing from our site. And the digitized stuff, I mean, I, there's, a, there's a cadre of people who, who believe this, you know, this is their religion. A lot of pathologists who, who don't think it's any big deal. I mean, so, um, and I encounter okay. this at shows because people say, well, why don't you do more? And then, we have, and, then, and we do surveys and people say, oh, it's just not that important. So we have some. And we're, we're adding to it. We have an informatics chapter. We're adding to it. 
Uh, Dr. Uh, Bowie from, uh, I think, from Moffitt and Dr. Parwani from Ohio State have, have helped organize that effort. So we are adding to that, and we're hopefully getting some more um, advertisers, digital pathology advertisers who can not only support support the website, but perhaps give us some ideas on other things that we should add to the website too, um, just okay. in general. So we are we are moving with the times, but I'm not. Uh, and like I said, digital pathology may be a tool that pathologists use. Um, you know, it's certainly a lot easier uh, to have to go to slide conferences and not have to worry about finding slides, right? Sure. Um, yeah. That's always a, a major issue. Um, I don't know how many times as a resident I would just walk around trying to find slides. Of course, people don't really want a FedEx slides, especially cytology slides. There's maybe only one slide that shows the tumor. You really don't want to send it out to somebody um, because the slides break from time to time. I know I've dropped, I remember I dropped a slide once as a resident that I was just aghast, you know, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, and you know, and it broke into tiny little pieces. And uh, so I don't, so I think that that's, uh, digital is obviously a big improvement of that. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. I'll put a w link to uh, Pathology Outlines in the show notes uh, for this episode. Dr. Pernick, is there anything I haven't asked you that you wanted to uh, mention? Well, just that um, the purpose of our website, when, when I was setting it up, the idea was to um, help pathologists find information fast. And, um, um, and when I said fast, my thinking was 15 seconds or less. Um, two clicks. So we, we organize, and that's why we organized the way we did. So we have a one click to get you to the right chapter and one click in the table of contents. You might have to do a little looking. Um, we try to organize the table of contents topically, like a textbook, and then alphabetically. So the thinking was a lot of stuff pathologists, we don't need to look up because we see it all the time, right? And we're busy. So we're not going to look stuff up unless it's a slow period. And some stuff we're obviously going to look mm -hmm. up because we absolutely have no idea what it is. But there's a lot of stuff where we're pretty sure what it is, but maybe we don't see it all the time. And that's really where I kind of aiming pathology outlines for, where you can look it up quickly. And, you know, so you're, you're really pretty sure the diagnosis you read and you say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you say, oh, you know what? I forgot about that. Or maybe there's something in the differential diagnosis you thought, you know, I'm not 100% sure that, that's, that it's not this other entity. So maybe I should just do you know, an extra test or, or call the clinician or something like that. So that's really why we wanted to do it. Is, uh, um, now, residents sometimes used to think, oh, I need this to help me figure out how to sign out a case. Well, you know, you, you sort of, you know, it really doesn't work like that. It's not, it's not intended to help somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. It really is to help people who do know what they're doing, but to just help them do a better job at it. So. Yeah, that's kind of okay. how we organized it. And uh, sometimes we have to point that out to people. I, I remember I went to one of the informatics shows at the University of Pittsburgh. And I talked to a computer guy and he was saying, well, we, we want to help people who don't know anything about pathology make a diagnosis. I said, well, you know, that's not really what we're trying to do. I mean, I understand from your right. point of view how you want to do that, but we really don't want to do that. I actually don't think you can do that. I think you need a human brain put this all together. I don't, I don't know that a computer is going to do a very good job at it. So, um, you know, we're trying to help people who are pathologists, uh, not, to, not trying to help people who know nothing about pathology. So, so that's kind of the, uh, how we set it up. So, um, 
So I really appreciate uh, you having me and uh, uh, on your podcast, Dennis. Thanks so much. Thank you, Dr. Pernick. Big thank you to Dr. Pernick. And of course, the website is pathologyoutlines.com. I'll have a link to that in the show notes as well as links to their social media. You can follow this show on Twitter at People of Path. Also check out the website, peopleofpathology.podbean.com. Remember to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and at Podbean. And don't forget to leave a rating and review and let me know what you think. I am a member and the CFO of the American Association of Pathologist Assistants. This show does not necessarily represent the views of the AAPA and receives no financial support from the AAPA. Thank you very much for listening, and I will talk to you next time on the People of Pathology podcast.